Thank you. We're going to read Titus 3, which is on page 844, if you have one of our Bibles. Doing what is good. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychius to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good, in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. There are no good people in heaven. Did you know that? There are no good people in heaven. I love when I get the chance to say that to people who've never heard that before. They think that heaven is is where good people go. And when you point out that heaven is full of bad people, they're shocked. They want to know why on earth would you think like that? And it's a great opportunity to explain that there are no good people in heaven, there are only bad people that have been saved by Jesus. And this is one of the most important things that we'll ever learn in this life, that we don't get to heaven by being good enough for God, we get to heaven by realising we're not good enough for God and so we stop trusting in ourselves and our own goodness and start trusting in Jesus. But when we realise this, that we're not good enough, and when we trust in Jesus, God not only saves us despite being bad people, but he also calls us to do good despite being bad people. So we're going to see today in Titus 3. Let's start by having a look at, at 3 verse 1. Paul says to Titus, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. And we'll come back to the details of what Paul is saying here, but first look at verse 8, where we also see this idea again. 
I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And there's one more time, verse 14. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. Now clearly in this chapter, Paul really wants to get this message across. Remind the people, stress these things. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing good. This is our first point. We are to devote ourselves to doing what is good. Today, we're going to have a closer look at at the good that Paul's talking about here. And then we're going to look at why he says that we're to do good. And then finally, we'll look at how we can be involved, along with Titus, in reminding, stressing, learning and spreading these things. But first, let me remind you what we've seen so far in the book of Titus. We've seen that Paul wants people to hear the message about eternal life through Jesus so that they have faith in him and a knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. In chapter 1, we saw that church leaders are really important to this. They need to know the message of eternal life themselves and stick to it. And their lives have got to show that they know it so that they can encourage other people to know the message and live by it too. And also so that they can correct those who corrupt the message. Last week, Paul's focus shifted from the church to the home. We saw him telling Titus to teach the healthy living that flows from the healthy message about eternal life in Jesus. And we saw last week that that Paul lifted the hood. He showed us the engine that drives healthy living. We're saved by God's grace in Jesus. That's the engine. That's the engine that drives everything. In our chapter today, Paul shifts the focus from the church in chapter 1 to the home in chapter 2. And now in chapter 3, his focus is on how Christians are to relate to the rest of the world in response to what God has done in Jesus. Have a look at verse 1 again with me. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward everyone. The first way that what Jesus has done for us affects how we are to relate to the world is that it teaches us where to be subject to rulers and authorities. And did you see what that means in this passage? It means in verse 1, obedience. We're to obey our governments, our police, our courts, the laws of our land. This is the first way that we're to be devoted to doing good. Now, often when you read these parts of the Bible, maybe it's just me, but maybe it's you as well, your mind automatically jumps to the impossible situations or the difficult situations. What if we were living in Germany in World War II? What if the government said that it was illegal for a church to refuse to employ a minister based on their sexuality. The Bible always says that when we're faced with a decision to obey God or to obey people, we should obey God. And if we ever find ourselves in a difficult scenario, that's what we should do. We should obey God and be prepared to face whatever consequences might come. But in the meantime, at every other moment, 99.999% of the time, or, or more probably, God is telling us to be model citizens. 
We're to live in harmony with our governments and police and in harmony with our neighbours to the absolute best of our ability. Remember, Paul's writing to people who are living under Roman rule. He's not naive about it being easy. If God expected this of them back then in their extremely difficult context, then he absolutely expects it of us today. We too need to be reminded that we need to obey the people that God has placed over us. So as I thought about this, I thought, where in particular do we need a reminder today? What kind of rules are we, um, are we struggling to obey? Now, usually when someone's preaching on this, speeding is the classic one. But I th- as I thought about this, I thought, it doesn't really apply in Adelaide because speed cameras are more common than trees here. Texting while driving is another one where we struggle, isn't it? Or touching our phones and that sort of thing. Why do these laws exist? Well, they're there for the good of society, for people's safety. Because when I speed or when I'm texting while driving, I'm not doing good. I'm risking people's lives. What are some of the other ways that we resist being subject to our authorities? Declaring income... To Centrelink is one where we can struggle. For some of us, underpaying staff can be a temptation. Cutting corners on tax is, is one area where we can struggle. Whenever I buy a car and they, the, um, the seller goes to write down on the registration slip how much I bought it for, every single time they say to me, how much do you want me to write? So that you don't have to pay as much tax when you transfer the rego. Gee, it'd be tempting to just say whatever, but no, we can't do that. That wouldn't be obeying God. Copyright is another area where we struggle. And you have movies from Bali or these days from friends on your USB drives or Dropbox or music you haven't paid for. Whenever people disobey the government in any of these things, They're saying either, I know better, these rules are stupid, Centrelink is incompetent, iTunes is out of touch, this stretch of road should be at least 80. Or they're saying, I don't care. Who cares if I'm stealing from Taylor Swift or Bill Gates? Boo-hoo. But for us, if we're followers of Jesus and we disobey these laws, that's not just what we're saying. We're also saying, I know better than you, God. Or we're saying, I'm not interested in doing the, God, the good that you want me to do, God. That's not us. We should go home and delete the stolen movies that we have and music and we should say no thanks when they're offered. It's actually a good chance to share the gospel. And we should make a pact with ourselves to never touch our phones while we're driving. Now, I feel ashamed to say this, but I've had to make this pact with myself just recently and I still feel the temptation whenever my phone buzzes, just last night actually, so hypocritical of me. I mean, how wrong of me to even struggle with that? Imagine the headline, local minister kills pedestrian while texting parishioner. <laughs> I str- we struggle with it but I think that's Paul's point here. You've got to learn these things, you've got to stress them, you've got to be reminded of them. It's hard, we've got to help each other, but we need to be devoted to doing good. We're called in verse 1 
to be ready to do whatever is good and this means we must obey the authorities. Now, it's almost like Paul can read my mind because just as I'm thinking, what? I have to obey those idiots? What does he write in verse 2? Remind the people to slander no one. And this doesn't mean a mindless, naive acceptance of the character of every person in authority. Slander is, is tearing someone down, dishonouring or disrespecting them with our words. So in other words, it's the normal way that Australians talk about politicians and people in authority. But it's not to be how we talk as Christians. Just before the federal election, Tony Zappia was making himself available in public places to meet people in his electorate. And so I thought I'd go and introduce myself to him. When I arrived, he was having a tense conversation with someone else. And one thing that he was saying to this person that I overheard was that he was tired of getting nasty emails from people claiming to be Christians. We can't be doing that. We're called to be ready to do whatever is good and pulling down politicians via email or behind their back is not doing good. And we should be speaking our minds, yes, but we should be doing it with respect and submission to authority. Paul doesn't just have in mind how we relate to rulers here. He's moved the focus from our leaders to everyone. See that? He writes, slander no one. Our words should never be about pulling people down, no matter who they are. They should always be about building people up, whether it's our boss, our mother-in-law, our colleagues. I heard a laugh there with (laughs) mother-in-law. Our customers, our neighbours. See, just because something's true doesn't mean it's always going to be building people up to say it and hardly ever does it build people up to say it behind their back. The next way that we're to do good to those around us, in verse 2, are we're to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward everyone. We're to live in harmony with those around us as far as it depends on us. Consider it here, the word means not insisting on every right. Not insisting on every right. It means yielding, giving ground. How do you react when someone jumps the queue? Or when your neighbours are inconsiderate of you? What do you think of them then? Are you someone who's okay with giving up some of your rights to keep the peace? Or Or are you someone who insists on being treated exactly as you should be all the time? The next way we're to be devoted to good is by always being gentle toward everyone. The word for gentle here is the idea of humility or the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's own importance. I like that. The quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's own importance. As I read that, I was thinking pharmacists are generally people who are overly impressed by a sense of their own importance. Do we still have any other pharmacists here? I mean, Kathy's the exception, of course. (laughs) It's probably changing these days, but when I first started in pharmacy, you'd never make your own cup of tea. One of the other staff would always make it for you. In fact, I once heard a pharmacist say that they'd offered to make one of the other staff members a cup of tea, 
And she'd said that in the 30 years that she'd worked in pharmacy, no pharmacist had ever done that for her before. Humility is a rare, but it's a beautiful quality. And followers of Jesus are called to act with humility toward who? Toward everyone. Not thinking that we're more important. Not thinking that anyone's not worth bothering with. We're always to be good, ready to do good to anyone. But why? This is where we move to our second point. Why? Why are the followers of Jesus called to be devoted to doing good? Well, we see the reason in verse 3. But it's a bit hidden in this translation. See, in the Greek, it clearly has four at the beginning of the sentence. So it goes like this, why submit to rulers and seek to always do good to everyone? For at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. See, are you, are you finding it hard to do good to those you work with? When they're joking about things you find offensive, when you seem to have nothing in common with them, when they slack off at work, or when they talk behind your back? Are you finding it it hard to do good to your neighbour when they're having parties late at night, when they're starting up the car at 5am in the morning? Well, when it's hard, Paul says, keep in mind, in God's eyes, we were once just like them. To him. Any horrible thing that they do to us has got nothing on what we've done to God. And it's absolutely not the case that we pulled up our socks, got ourselves together and turned our lives around. Look at verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Do you see what Paul's doing here? He's taking us back for another look under the hood to see the the engine that drives the Christian life. It's like he's a petrol head and he's just like, check out this engine, eh? Look at the power of it. I don't know why he's a Queenslander, but anyway. He's like, look at the way that it changes how you think, how you feel, how you live. What powers the Christian life, not just in the church, not just in our homes, but everywhere in this world, is always what God has done for us in Jesus, not what we do for ourselves. In chapter 2, it's it's the grace of God that's appeared that brings salvation. Here in chapter 3, he says the same thing, but he says it slightly differently. It's the kindness and love of God that God has for people that's appeared that brings salvation. God shows love for unlovely people. God, when He loved us, He was loving bad people and His love for us inspires love in us. God sets us an example to love people in our world, not because they're beautiful, but because mercy is beautiful. And actually, He's done more than just set us an example. Look at verse 5. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by His grace, 
we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. When I was around 16, I went to this church where the pastor's wife looked piercingly into my eyes and she said, Stephen, do you have the Holy Spirit? It was very awkward in an intense moment and I I hadn't actually even made it to the front door of the church, I was just getting out of my car. It's probably not what I'd recommend you do if you're on welcoming here at TNE. Really what she was saying to me was that it wasn't enough that I had faith in Jesus. I might have been saved, but she thought I needed some separate experience to receive the Holy Spirit. This is not what Paul says here. Paul says the only way we can be saved is if we have the Holy Spirit. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't be saved. But when we believe in Jesus, at that very moment, what Jesus did at the cross suddenly becomes effective for me. As soon as I have faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit washes me and is poured out on me. Anyone who is a true believer of Jesus is a Spirit-filled believer. It's impossible to be saved without the Holy Spirit and it's impossible to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit justifies us and He makes us heirs of eternal life, children of God, destined to live with God forever. Do you see why all of this means that we should do good? Why should we show love to the unlovely? Because we, the unlovely, have been loved by God. And more than that, we have been made lovely to God, not because of anything that comes from within us, but by the Holy Spirit coming from outside us. He comes and washes us and renews us rebirths us, regenerates us. In other words, He empowers us to live the new life of love as heirs of eternal life. So, do you know what God wants you to do? Like, do you know that God wants you to submit to rulers and authorities, to not slander anyone and to be considerate, peaceable and gentle? Well, if you know it, It's because the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. All Scripture is breathed out by God. The Holy Spirit speaks God's Word into our lives. Do you want to do the good that God wants you to do? Like, do you want to submit to rulers and authorities? Do you want to be considerate and gentle? If so, then that's the Holy Spirit at work in you. He conforms our minds, changes our thinking and our hearts to be like Jesus. Do you actually live God's way? Are you considerate and gentle in response to God? If so, that's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And when you fail at these things, do you feel it? And do you want to turn back to God? Well, if so, that's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. This stuff doesn't come from us. It comes from God. The Holy Spirit takes what Christ did at the cross for us and He makes it count for us. But He doesn't stop there. He rebirths us, regenerates us. He calls on us and enables us to live as those who are inheriting eternal life. 
Christians are to devote themselves to doing what's good because God saved us when we were not good and He's poured His Spirit out on us. And so Paul says in verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying, what he's just said, the whole gospel message about what God has done in Jesus. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And this brings us to our final point. We can be involved in reminding, stressing, learning and spreading God's message. When you hang around with Christians for a while, you probably notice that you, um, you meet quite a few who seem to downplay doing good. I think it's because we know that we're saved by grace, that we can make the mistake of thinking that doing good doesn't matter. But the book of Titus, it won't let us do that. It won't let us downplay God's grace and it won't let us downplay doing good. It celebrates both. God's grace comes first. It's the engine, but its effect will always be seen in our lives. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, notice this, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. You can't read this bit of the Bible properly and not ask yourself, am I careful to devote myself to doing what's good? Not, am I careful to do what's good? Not even, am I devoted to what's good? But, am I careful to be devoted? Would you say that you're careful to make sure that you're devoted to doing good. Remember, there's only one source. There's only one engine that drives this. You're careful to devote yourself to doing good when you're careful to let the gospel, the message of God's grace, keep driving you into action. We can't let other things like legalism or ritual or religion sneak in. That's what was happening in Crete and that's why Paul says in verse 10, that these things are worthless, they're useless. We've got to keep coming back to grace, back to God's kindness, back to God's love for us, the unlovable. We've got to listen to the Holy Spirit applying the gospel to our lives. We've got to keep asking, how does the gospel motivate me to love my neighbour? How does the gospel motivate me to love people at work? How does the gospel motivate me to love people here at church? How does the gospel motivate me to love my wife and my kids or my husband? You don't stumble onto these kind of answers. We've got to be careful to immerse ourselves in the gospel and through it, the Holy Spirit changes minds, hearts and actions. Paul ends this letter by getting Titus to make the most of an opportunity. Have a look with me at verse 13. It's a little bit tricky to see what's going on, but see if you can follow along with me. Finishes the letter saying, do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. But look at how he's going to go about, how Titus is to go about making sure that they're helped and got everything they need. Verse 14, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. Paul's saying that here's an opportunity Here's an opportunity for the, the churches in Crete to learn 
what he's talking about in this chapter. Zenos and Apollos need resources so they can keep going, spreading the gospel message. And Paul's saying this is a great chance for the churches in Crete to put into practice what the gospel teaches them to do. He's not saying this is the only opportunity, it's just that this is an obvious opportunity which can help them learn to do good at all sorts of other opportunities. In other words, this is not just talk, this is important, it it has real implications. And he's saying this is something that we, we need to grow in, that we need to develop. I'm doing stroke correction at swimming, Um, at the moment. See, when you have as many kids as I do, they take pity on you and so after after the third child, it's all free after that. And we recently realised that that includes for adults as well. So I thought, I may as well make the most of this opportunity and and correct some of my my swimming mistakes. My kids think it's hilarious. Unfortunately, it doesn't help that I have the same swimming teacher as them. Every week, Elliot wants to come along and and be my supervisor and watch me having lessons. It's too humiliating, so I haven't let him him do it yet. But I've I've been relearning breaststroke because in my first lesson, my swimming teacher called my technique terrible. In fact, I think the words, what he said was, I wouldn't call that breaststroke. (laughs) Since then, he's explained it to me and he showed me how to do it himself. But do you think that means I know how to do breaststroke? It's only as I get, get out there and try to do it for myself, whatever it is, and the leg's doing weird things and he comes along and kind of grabs my legs and little by little, slowly, I think I'm starting to maybe think it could be possible one day that I'd know how to do breaststroke. Well, it's, it's the same sort of thing here. We are bad people who need to learn to do good. God's given us everything we need but we grow in this. We've got to learn to devote ourselves to doing good. Which means we've got to walk away today and put into practice what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Motivated by the grace of God only, let's go home and, and delete those files that shouldn't be on our computers. Motivated by God's kindness only. Let's make a pact with ourselves never to touch our phones when we're driving. Motivated by God's love, let's go home and apologise to that politician we sent a poison email to. Remembering who we once were, let's reconcile with our neighbours. I'm going to throw an opportunity out there similar to what Paul threw to the Cretans, We have Steph with us at the moment here in Australia and if you know anything about her work then you'll know that what she does, spreading the message about God, that she does it in one of the most stressful places you can imagine. Her life's in danger actually. Now when she's on the field she has enough to worry about without having to worry about raising money but as it turns out she does need to increase her support and so it has been a stress for her. Do you want an opportunity to learn to do good in response to God's message of what He's done for us in Jesus? I can't see a better one than this one. See, wouldn't it be great if, as a church, motivated by the gospel, if enough of us went home and 
and started regularly giving to her work that she could go back next year not having to worry about support raising. This is just one real practical opportunity that we could take in response to God's kindness to us in Jesus. Just one opportunity to help us learn how to keep devoting ourselves to doing good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand in awe of your loving kindness, your grace shown to us in Jesus, that you've taken us, people who are not lovable, and you've loved us. And that you've loved us to the highest degree in sending Jesus, your Son, to die an unspeakable death in our place. Father, help us to be overwhelmed by the power of this, the beauty of your mercy. And Lord, help it to transform how we see the rest of the world around us. Open our eyes. Lord, help us to extend love and mercy to our our world, our neighbours, our workmates, even when they don't deserve it, Lord, especially when they don't deserve it. Help us to do it motivated by your action on our behalf in the gospel, that we want to do good as a result of what you've done for us, because you've washed us, because the Holy Spirit has renewed us and regenerated us to live as heirs, your children destined to inherit an eternity with you. Lord, help us in this because we keep struggling with it and we will struggle with it till Jesus returns. Lord, help us to listen to the Holy Spirit and to keep in step with him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.